if you would take your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. And I know it's a rather long chapter, but I'm going to read the entire thing. Luke chapter 24. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. Of course, this is talking about the women who watched him be crucified. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. It came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments, as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. And returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and they had and to all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women that were with them which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Then arose Peter and ran unto the sepulchre, and stooping down he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. It came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another and as you walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleophas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to, to death, and have crucified him. But we trusted it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. When they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found that even as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expanded to them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went. He made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And they went, he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave, the, gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with him, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. 
And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. They were terrified and affrighted and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? Why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while he, they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have you here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Thus opened he, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, Thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, that, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed him, he was departed from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. You know, this passage of scripture is Dr. Luke's account, of course, of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which is a cardinal, that is a chief or principal doctrine of our faith. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and verses 14 through 9, Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, again under inspiration, said this, And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain. Your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. You know, if the resurrection is not true, we might as well eat, drink, and marry, for we're all going to die. But I submit to you that the resurrection of Christ is one of the most attested to facts of history. In fact, when Luke, writing in Acts chapter 1, speaking about Christ, he says, to whom also, in verse 3, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. And Paul, again, in 1 Corinthians 15, in 1 Corinthians 15, in verses uh, 5 through 8, you know, they say at the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. But in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5, speaking about the resurrected Christ, he says and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, and after that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, the some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. So again, the Lord Jesus Christ is one of the most attested to facts 
of the resurrection of Christ is one of the most attested to facts of history. And you know, we are familiar with this truth. And of course, it is vital to our faith. But I want to preach to you this morning about something that is common with everyone in this passage and is a common problem you and I have today. And I want you to notice particularly verse 8. It says, and they remembered his words. You know, the implication here is that previously they were acting out of ignorance of his words. But now they remembered. John chapter 2, John makes a similar statement. John chapter 2 and verse 22 where he says, When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. And also in John chapter 20 and verse 9, it says, For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. You see, and they remembered his words. So that's the title of this message this morning, and they remembered his words. Let's pray and then we'll, we'll look at this. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to assemble together to study thy word, to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Father, I pray that as we look into the scripture this morning, that we would be encouraged and challenged and edified. Help us to examine ourselves in the light of thy word. Lord, I pray that you would help me as I preach. Give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. And may you be glorified, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So they remembered his words. Again, this is a common problem. And if you read through this passage, you'll find that, and as we're going to see, this is not only evident about them, but of everyone that's spoken about in the passage. Now, I want to notice three things here this morning. First of all, as we think about them remembering his words, I want us to notice their complicated condition. Their complicated condition. In verses 1 through 4 it says, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. So this is talking about the women that's mentioned in verses 55 and 56 of the previous chapter. It says, And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulchers, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout. They were much perplexed thereabout. The word perplexed here means that they were entirely at a loss. They had no idea what now to do. They were lost. You ever throw up your hand and say, now what? That's where they are. See, they had, all, they had it all planned and prepared as to what they were going to do to honor their Lord. Verses 55 and 56 says, And the women also which came from with him from Galilee followed after 
and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid, and they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. See, they had it all planned out, what they were going to do, how they were going to honor their Lord. You know, they had followed their own logic. You know, there were some things they had to consider. You know, one of the things they had to consider was, what are we going to do with the stone? I mean, they had it all worked out in their mind, what they were going to do and how they were going to order. You know, they prepared these spices and they figured they were going to anoint his body and, and so on, and which they didn't do properly because it was the Sabbath. But, so they were going to do it today, next day. And, and so they had this all in their minds, what they were going to do. Without really thinking about some of the implications here. Mark 16, 3 says, you know, they were on the, while they were on their way, they said among themselves, who threw away the stone for us? You see, the problem is, their plans and their preparations were all in vain because it was not God's plan. And when you and I proceed outside the plan of God, it may leave us very perplexed and confused and as a loss, at a loss as to what now. What are we going to do? So they were perplexed. Not only were they perplexed, they were also, number two, they were afraid. Notice verse 5. It says, and as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said, why seek ye the living among the dead? Look at also at verse 37. It says, but they were terrified. This is speaking about the disciples. They were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. So, so they're perplexed and, and they're also, you know, they're, they, they, they uh, uh, see two men in shining garments, they're angels. And so now they're in great fear. They're afraid. You know, often these things go together. You know, I was thinking when it speaks about the disciples being terrified, the thought came to me, you know, Peter's probably thinking in his mind, should I get my sword out again? But you know, when we don't follow the plan of the Lord, it can leave us in fear. Mark 10, 32, it says, And they were going in the way, going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them, and they were amazed, and as they followed, they were afraid. Why were they afraid? Why do we fear? Well, I think Mark 13, or Matthew 14, verses 30 and 31 give us an idea. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. But here they're afraid. They're afraid. Not only were they perplexed and they were afraid, but they were also, number three, misguided. Verses 5 and 6 says, And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, this is the angels, 
Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee? So really the question they're asking, the, the, the angels are asking the women is, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? You know, Jesus is alive. He's living. And the living are not found among the dead. So what are you doing here? You know, I wonder if sometimes the Lord says to us, what are you doing here? You know, Elijah, we know Elijah prays down fire from heaven and then has all the prophets of Baal put to death and slain and put to death and, and Jezebel threatens him. And so he runs for his life. He's afraid, he's perplexed, he's misguided and he goes to a mountain and, and, he, and there's an earthquake and there's a fire and then there's a still small voice and the Lord said to him here, what doest thou here, Elijah? What are you doing here? You see, Jesus has said he was going to rise from the dead, so th they should not have expected to find him in the tomb. You know, some people think they're going to find the Lord somewhere out there in the world. Where are you going to find the Lord is in his house. Among the people of God. Worshiping him in spirit and in truth. So they were perplexed, afraid, misguided. And I don't notice a fourth thing here. And this is really the crux of the issue. This is why these other things happen. They believe not. Verse 11 says, and their words. So here these women, they get this message from the angels. And it says they remembered, and so they go running to the disciples and, and tell them, and, and verse 11 says, And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. And again in verse 22, Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. The word astonished means, here means out of one's mind or beside oneself. And again, in verse 25, the Lord says to them, Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now this is, a, this is a complicated condition to be in for many, many times. We can become overwhelmed by grief or anxiety or difficult situations we're in that we can't see the trees for the forest, so to speak. We can't see the Lord for our circumstances. And so we lose sight of the Lord. We forget to think on His Word or rely on His power and His promises. And we miss the blessing, the rest, the assurance that God has for us. But when we finally get ourselves together and stop and think about Him, you know, we find out He was there all the time. We just couldn't see. You know, we get perplexed and afraid and misguided. Because we don't believe him. We don't take him at his word. You know, Jesus had told them many times that he was going to be slain and that he would rise the third day. 
But somehow it never kind of stuck in their minds. Can you and I relate to that? You know, there's an interesting verse in Isaiah 30, 18. It says this, And therefore will the Lord wait. Now, remember, Isaiah is prophesying to an apostate nation who's in rebellion against their God. And he says this, Therefore will the Lord wait, that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted, that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. So what Isaiah is telling his, his nation, or the people of Israel is, look, the Lord, the Lord wants to be gracious to you. The Lord wants to show his mercy to you. But you're in apostasy, you're in rebellion against him, and he can't. The only thing he can do is judge you. But he'll wait. And when the judgment is through, and you turn back to him, he will again be gracious unto you, and he will have mercy upon you. He'll wait. You know, God never gives up on us. He'll wait. He'll wait. So we see their complicated condition. I want you to notice, secondly, the cause of their condition. The cause of their condition. First of all, you know, why, why, do, why do things like that happen? Well, I come up with three three things here. Number one, we have our own preconceived conceived ideas of how things should work. Notice verse twenty one. Verse twenty one. So these are the two on the road to to Emmaus, and they're speaking to the Lord, and they said this. But we trusted that it had been He which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. We trusted. Go to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Verse 32. Mark 10 verse 32 says, and they were in the way, going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them, and they were amazed, and as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered to the chief priests, and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, so deliver him to the Gentiles. They shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him, and the third day he shall rise again. And James and John, the sons of Debedee, coming unto him, saying, Come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we will shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand, the other on thy left, in thy glory. Now, think about this here. Jesus is telling, they're on the way to Jerusalem, who and of course when they are in Jerusalem. Previously, he was really threatened. They knew there was great animosity against him from the religious leaders. And so the disciples were afraid to go back to Jerusalem. In fact, one of the kind, I believe it says, let's go up and we'll die with him, one of them said. 
And so they're on their way up. Jesus knows they're afraid. And he begins to tell them what's going to happen to them. He's going to be, he's going to be arrested. He's going to be condemned to death. They're going to mock, scourge him, all these things. And the third day, but the third day, he's going to rise again. James and John, I don't know how these things go together. But in the midst of that, they come to him and say, could you do for us what we want? I mean, in your kingdom, we want to sit one on the right hand and one on the left. Jesus is talking about dying, and they're talking about reigning. You think they had some preconceived ideas on their own? You know, sometimes we think, you know, sometimes we think we have preconceived ideas of our own. We think we're too busy. We can't afford to take time to pray. You ever been there? You ever been there? Luther said, I have so much to do, I need to spend more time in prayer. Preconceived ideas. Secondly, we think God's way is impossible. Notice verse 19 and 20 again. And he said to them, what things? And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. You see, we think God's way is impossible sometimes. You know, they were saying he was mighty indeed. And if you study the, the Gospels, you understand that he was mighty indeed. There wasn't anything that he could not do. From our way of thinking. He could heal the sick, make the blind to see, raise the dead to life. He could calm the sea. He, you know, and so, so we could ask this question, could his life be taken? Somebody so mighty and had such power, could his life be taken? They're probably thinking impossible. I mean, in other times they thought they, they were going to let him out to the brow of the hill and they're going to throw him head down, head lo- down over headlong. And he just turned about and walked right through the midst of them and went his way. You know, they saw these things. And they're thinking, they may be thinking, come on, Jesus, we know this can't happen. It's impossible. but we must remember his life was not taken. It was laid down. Now Jesus even made this statement. It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. And the disciples said, Lord, then who can be saved? And he said, with man it's impossible. With God all things are possible. You know, rich men do get saved. And with God, all things are possible. It's even possible for the Son of God to die. The third thing I see here 
cause of this problem? We try to apply the scripture out of its context. This is a real problem. Verse 21 says, But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel, and beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Now, they, they, they trusted that he should have redeemed Israel. Now, their understanding of, of the meaning, redeem Israel, and understanding of redeem Israel were two different things. You know, is our Lord the Redeemer of Israel? Yes, He is. Is He the one who will deliver them at the Battle of Armageddon? Yes, He is. But He is also the Redeemer of all nations, even the Gentiles. Now, that would have been a stick in their throats. In fact, if you notice in verse 47, he says, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at the Jerusalem. At Jerusalem, so so there, you know they were they were taking that he was the redeemer of Israel out of context and missing part of the story. You know, just like many people do today, especially the movie industry. I was talking to somebody here the other night about the movie Moses. I said there's a problem with movies. They don't tell you everything. They leave out large portions. Even if what they say may be partly correct, they leave out part, large portions of it so it does not give you a true picture of the truth. Therefore, it's perverted. See, many, many people are confused about large portions of Scripture. They take it out of context. Go to first, let me give you an example. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is one of the most common ones, and I believe in our day. And for years I was confused about this as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sothenes our brother. Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So this, this is a letter written to the church of God, which is at Corinth. Now go to chapter 12. Chapter 12. <clears throat> Verse 1 again. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. So I think it's rather obvious to me that he's continuing to talk to the church at Corinth. Now, look at verse 27. This is the problem. Now ye, talking to the church of Corinth, are the body of Christ and members in particular. And most people, for some reason, say that verse 20, verse, chapter 1, verse 1 is talking to the church at Corinth, but chapter 12, verse 27 is not talking to the church at Corinth. Why not? And they take that portion of Scripture and separate it from the rest of it, beginning really at verse 12. No, he's still talking to the church at Corinth. 
And he says to the church at Corinth, ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. You are one body in Christ and, and then there's members of the body. Just like we got members here of this body. A body is that which makes life visible. And you see, most people say, well, I was talking about all the Christians that are saved. That's not what it says. In fact, if you read the context, you've got some real problems with that interpretation because he says there should be no schism in the body. And if you're talking about that as a body, it's very schismatic. We were at Bible conference a couple weeks ago. The dinner table, Pastor Eric McCandless from Empire Baptist Temple, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, said, said this, I think the local church doctrine does more to open the scriptures than any other doctrine. And I said this, I believe so, because it puts things in its right context. Puts things in its right context. You see, so often, as they were doing, they were trying to apply the scriptures out of context. Out of context. I want you to notice the third thing. We see their complicated condition, the cause of their condition, then the cure. Cure for the condition, uh, and really, which is really unbelief, is number one, be ready to hear. Notice verse 25, it says, Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You know, we need to be ready to hear. Uh, James 1.19 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. So we need to be very ready or quick, or as it says here, swift, quick to hear. God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. You ought to listen a lot more than you talk. Ecclesiastes 5.1 says, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be met it more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. So we need to be more ready to hear. Matthew 13, 15, Jesus speaking about the Pharisees said, For this people's heart is wax gross, their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted, converted and I should heal them. Say, see, to be ready to hear means you love what you hear and are willing to apply it. That is, do it. See, the disciples weren't ready to admit or to agree with that their beloved Lord was going to be crucified. You weren't ready to hear that. None of them were ready to hear it, except maybe one person. Mary of Bethany who anointed the feet of Jesus preparing him for his burial. And you know Mary where was she always found? Sitting at the feet of Jesus and hearing his words. See she was ready to hear. And I don't think that Mary is one of those women that went to the sepulcher that morning. Because I don't think, I think she knew he wouldn't be there. 
See, we need to be swift to hear. You know, if your attitude is, that's what the preacher says, that's what some of them do, but I'm not. Don't expect the Bible to be an open book to you. First Corinthians 2, 14 and 15 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is, judgeth, is judged of no man. See, the spiritual man judges, or that he examines everything, even himself. Even himself. So we need to be ready to hear. Secondly, we need to have the scriptures expounded to us. Notice verse 27, it says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The word expanded here means to unfold the meaning of what is said, to explain, to set forth in detail. You know, somebody has said that God is an expository preacher. He gave us the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. And then he spent Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy explaining the Ten Commandments. He expanded them. This is how it applies. This is the details about it. Paul wrote Titus in Titus 1.3. He says, But hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God, of God our Savior. The word manifested here means to make known, to explain, to make thoroughly understood. So it is through preaching or prophesying. You know, uh, Paul wrote to the first Thessalonica, Thessalonica and 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 and 21 says, Despise not prophesyings, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. And that word good there means that which is genuine or true. To prophesy means to discourse, is a discourse emanating from divine inspiration and declaring the purposes of God, whether by reproving and admonishing the wicked or comforting the afflicted or revealing things hidden. So it has the idea, same idea of expounding. And the word despise means uh, just take no account of. And, and Paul says, despise not. See, despise means you just make no account of. Oh, well, that's what he says. You know what? That's what the Pharisees did. They took no account of what Jesus said. There's an Old Testament king one of the godly kings of Judah. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 20, the Moabites and a very great multitude came against them. And he said, says this, And they rose early in the morning and went forth in the wilderness of Koa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. Now, Jehoshaphat was the king. But he said, you better listen to the prophets. Now, I believe Jehoshaphat was an honest man. And I believe he believed what he said. And the reason I believe that is, because remember he went to Behemoth Gilead and joined up with Ahab? And when he came back, 
Hananiah the prophet went out and said, Why shouldst thou hate the Lord and help the wicked? Thou hast done foolishly. Nevertheless, there's good things in thee. And right after that, it goes on and says, Jehoshaphat, he put scribes into every city that taught the word of God. He didn't say, shut your mouth or I'll put you in jail. No, he took it. He listened to what the prophet had to say. He didn't despise it. So we need to have the scriptures expanded. Thirdly, we need to have our understanding open. Notice verse 45. It says, Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And said unto them, this, this is written, Thus it is written, And thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance of, and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And I, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry you in the city of Jerusalem until you be due with power from on high. So he says to open, he opened their understanding. Now, it means the, the having the understanding open means to open the mind of one or cause him to understand a thing, uh, to rouse in one the faculty of understanding or the desire of learning. So, you know, the question we could ask ourselves, how do you have God open your understanding? Well, let me give you four things. Quickly. Number one, admit. Be willing to open your heart to the word of God. Not close him off if you don't like it. See, it begins in the heart. You may hear it. Pharisees heard it. They heard it with the ears but never got to the heart. They, their hearts were not open. In other words, they weren't willing to admit it was a truth and accept it. Secondly, submit. Accept what is written or heard as a personal admonition. You see, that was the crux of the matter with the Pharisees. They were not going to apply that personally because that meant they were going to lose their positions and their place in Jerusalem, and their power, and their authority. They would have to acknowledge that they were sinners too. They didn't like that. And they weren't, weren't, were not going to submit to that. You know, 1 John 5.13 says, These things have I written unto you, that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know. God's written it to us. We need to take it as a personal admonition. Thirdly, commit to it. Hide the word of God in your heart and make it part of your life and experience. It means to do it, to practice it. James 2.22 says, But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. It, if, it isn't, if you don't make it part of you, you're deceiving yourself. The word of God is life-changing. It has power to transform. Romans 12 says, Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then, fourthly, transmit, that is, pass on what you received to others, that they might be blessed also. Now, I will conclude with this question. 
did the disciples understand? Did they apply the scriptures to themselves? Did they practice it? Well, let's look at verses 50 through 53. It says, And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and lifted up his hands and blessed them. It came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. So he blesses them. He opens understanding. He blesses them. They leaves them. And you would think they would be mourning again. They'd be perplexed again. They'd be afraid and not know what to do. But they're not. They're full of joy. I mean, they're telling everyone, he's alive. Peter said, whom you crucified, God has made him both Lord and Christ. And he's alive. You know, he has conquered death and hell. And you need to repent toward God and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, save yourself from this untold generation. You see, they went everywhere telling everyone. And they were full of joy. Praising and blessing God continually. They were no longer confused, perplexed, afraid, in unbelief. Why? Because they remembered his word. See, to really remember his word means that we do it. It means we take him at his word, and we apply it in everyday life. We depend upon his promises, which are yea and amen. We believe in his power, and we believe that he is alive and that he is coming again. And there is an inheritance reserved in heaven that fadeth not away, reserved for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. So let me ask you, in times of troubles and trials and difficulties, do you remember his word? Are you, do you have rest in the midst of the storm? How is it with you?